note before jumping in, what do you think of the chairs? <laughs> All right, give yourselves a hand. You've waited 15 years for them. They had a service life of five, and we sure did wear them out. And my gratitude to the guys who showed up at, I don't know, midnight when the truck finally arrived for us to unload those things. Thank you, guys. One other announcement before we start getting on with it. A couple of things for you field-by-night veterans. Not only a new day, we're doing it on Sunday, but a new time. So for those of you who are my soup preparers that I look forward to every year, you're going to have to have that stuff to me earlier because <laughs> we're going to be starting at 5 o'clock, not 7. Okay? So we got a new day and a new time. Make note of that, please, as Christy in her video pointed out. There are these kinds of tickets. Grab a handful. Just grab as many as you're going to hand out. That'll be great. Throughout my entire life, music has been a huge part. For as long as I can remember, music has mattered to me, singing, playing. And it was no surprise to me after I read this morning's text that another song jumped to my mind for the second message in a row. And this time, of all people, the Rolling Stones. So back in 1969, the Rolling Stones released a song entitled, You Can't Always Get What You Want. And in the chorus, it goes on to say, but if you try sometimes, you'll find you get what you need. Now, let's be honest, none of us have turned into the Rolling Stones for theological advice. But that, those two phrases there really does capture this morning's text. We pick up today where John left off last week that regardless of what the Jewish people wanted, Jesus was explaining to them how he was the Messiah that they needed and by the way, they were getting. Wants and needs, they're easily blurred. Then and now, not much has changed. How often those words could describe me, could describe you, I'm sure. The Messiah we need and we get in Jesus may not be the one we want. So far in chapter 12, the Apostle John has documented why Jesus would die. This morning, we will, he will walk us through why they should have known that he had to die. Jesus himself will then explain to us exactly why he's the Messiah they needed. And in the middle, how sad it is when people believe the wrong things about him. He was the Messiah they needed regardless of what they wanted. Let's pray and dive in. Father, um, as we have sung already this morning, you are worthy. And your son is worthy. And you sent him. And the folks that you sent him to had a hard time grasping who he was, why he came. 
because it didn't line up with the way that they thought he should be. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me, give me the words to help people um, get the most out of this text. For I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 12, verse 37. We begin. Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. But this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet who said, Lord, who has believed our message? And who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? This is why they were unable to believe because Isaiah also said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts and be converted and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about them. Nevertheless, many did believe in him even among the rulers. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, so they would not be banned from the synagogue, for they love praise from men more than praise from God. John pauses Jesus' narrative with this parenthetical insertion. Recalling our context, Jesus had just finished explaining, I have to die. And if you were reading along in the app, I didn't do it on the screen, probably could have, but if you were reading along in the app or you brought your Bible, you will notice that these words weren't in red. Commonly in our Bibles, when Jesus is speaking, the text is in red. This is in black and white. And so John was modeling for us exactly what it is to be Berean. And that is, right after Jesus claimed to be the Messiah they needed, that he had to die, John goes and quotes for us from Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 6. And by the way, he throws in a little bit of Exodus too. John understood how important it was to ensure what a speaker claims, even if it's Jesus, by the way, that it squares with Scripture, what God has said. This includes me, it includes John, and it includes anyone who stands up here and makes claims that so-and-so is such because of what we find in Scripture. There are charlatans out there, folks, and they sometimes they stand behind a desk just like this. And they make up stuff and make claims that this is Scripture. John wasn't going to let that go. He felt compelled. Jesus was, was conveying to the Jewish people they wanted a certain kind of Messiah, and Jesus wasn't going to let them have it. Not then. And he insisted on staying there. And John was good. okay, well, I'll go ahead and, and let's see what Messiah, what Isaiah actually did say. So, look with me. I'm going to leave the verses that we just read on the screen. And what I'm going to do is read from, for you Isaiah 53, 1. It's in the app, by the way, if you want to actually kind of cheat and look at that. I'm going to read it for you. Isaiah 53, 1. Who has believed what we have heard? And who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? That is Isaiah actually quoting Moses. Exodus 15, 16. They will be as still as a stone because of your powerful arm. Then, in verse 40, from Isaiah 6, verse 10. Dull the minds of these people, deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their minds, 
turn back and be healed. Pretty close. In these final days of Jesus' earthly ministry, the crowds are buzzing. He's all the rage. And the disciples didn't yet get why he came. Jesus was relentless. He's just going to keep doing it. And John didn't understand it then either. We have no idea when John came to the conclusion that everything that Jesus said was to fulfill prophecy. But unlike his fellow gospel writers, the Holy Spirit laid it on John's heart to spend nearly half of his gospel on the last weeks of Jesus' life. Have you ever wondered why the Gospel of John is di so different from the synoptics? Synoptics is the term that we use to describe the first three Gospels because of their similarity. Here are a couple of rarely discussed things, at least from up here, of, that you may not know about John's Gospel. A, it was the last Gospel written, most likely sometime during the 90s in the first century, which would be roughly 25 years after the other three Gospels had already been in circulation. 25 years, that's a pretty long time. John was getting on, and the Lord put it on his heart to capture for us what he recalled of events that occurred 60 years before. That's quite a while. Why is this so noteworthy? John took the time to reference Old Testament prophecies throughout his gospel. It had been such a long time, but he needed to remind people that Jesus had to die, rise again, and ascend into heaven. But the fact that the matter remains, by the last part of the first century, people were beginning to have doubts. I think that's pretty understandable, because if this uh, will return and... Paul's been gone now for a while, and what's going on? He hasn't returned. The Lord put it on John's heart to account for us that Jesus most definitely was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecies. He saw it with his own eyes. And this brings me to the saddest and most troubling part of our text this morning, Look with me again at verses 42 and 43. Nevertheless, many did believe in him, even among the rulers, but, that's a huge but, because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. So they would not be banned from the synagogue. Why? For they love praise from men more than praise from God. Not my notes here, but I can remember when I was a new believer, I didn't particularly care for the way people looked at me when I told them that I was a Christian. You got to get past that. This is a very, very sad passage to me. Sad like the second group of seeds in the parable of the sower. This text makes clear to me, at least to me, that there is a type of belief that comes up short of salvation. There are too many passages that make clear that if we're unwilling to confess our faith in Jesus, that 
in his completed work on our behalf, he will deny knowing us to the Father. It's a pretty strong claim, and it's incredibly uncomfortable. But look with me at Matthew 10.33, which says, this is Jesus speaking, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. That's not like a really conflicting kind of confusing phrase. Jesus is pretty much putting it right there on the line. You deny me, I'm denying you. Plain and simple. Saying you believe is meaningless if you're unwilling to confess him to others. Now, I realize that this may not square with what you've heard, probably heard in church. But during my lifetime alone, the broader church has has been offering what is commonly referred to as easy believism. All you have to do is think that you believe, maybe say a prayer, and you're in. That's it. You're golden. I don't know. I just don't know how anyone who reads the Bible can come to that conclusion. You know, Billy Graham was once asked, how many people do you think really believe the gospel that's found in Scripture in the churches that you visit? And what he said shocked even me. He said, huh, 15, 20%. That means there's an awful lot of people that are in church that are like these even leaders who wouldn't confess that they believed in Jesus. This is uncomfortable. And if what I've just said troubles you, it troubles me. But I'd rather you be troubled and do something about it than be mistaken and find yourself not going to be with Jesus at the end of your life. We do need to move on. But John was certain that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that he needed, John needed, I need, you need. We all need it. He's the Messiah. And if you have doubts, then I hope the next verse is can help you out a little bit. Verse 44. Then Jesus cried out, The one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. The one who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him, for I, do not, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't accept my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day, for I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command as to what I should say and what I should speak. I know that his command is eternal life. So the things that I speak, 
I speak just as the Father told me. Wow. John returns to Jesus speaking here, and Jesus resurrects his claim that he is the light of the world. That, to not believe in him, is what? To remain in darkness. Earlier, we lit this candle, the first Advent candle, the candle signifying light. Have you ever wondered why we call this season Advent? Some of you may be new to church or unfamiliar with this Advent. Why we, maybe you're curious as to why we would have a, a, a young couple come up and do a nice reading and light a candle. Well, briefly, Advent is to Christmas as Lent is to Easter. Back in about the 5th century, both started out as 40-day fasts leading up to Christmas and Easter. Both are a time of preparation, anticipation. God expects you and me to prepare our hearts, our minds, our souls, our spirits, our bodies, all of it. He wants all of you. And he wants you to care that what he did, what he did in allowing Jesus to come and what he did in what Jesus did for you and I. So, if you've ever wondered why we do Advent, there's a brief introduction. The reason I bring this up is because traditionally, hope is the first. I was raised Catholic. So we Catholics, we kind of have the order. It's hope, it's preparation, and then it's, um, come on, Roy, uh, joy, and then love. Okay? So that's, that's the rig thing with regard to traditions. I love the fulfillment and the love and all. It doesn't, because it's what? It's preparing. It's not the ritual. It's the actual words. Try not to get yourself so hung up on traditions that you, me, you miss the purpose. The purpose of Advent and these candles, Jesus is the light. And in my traditionally Catholic background, he's also our hope, which is why I thought to bring this to, to your attention, because hope is the point of what Jesus just said. Everything that he just said in that in, in, in that reading is for our hope. The Jewish people wanted and hoped for a Messiah who would get rid of the Romans and restore Israel to David's glory. And of the many remarkable things about Jesus, the one that defies typical human behavior, the most for me is his steadfast rejection of all attempts to get him to deviate from the Father's plan. Speaking for myself, deviating for the Father's plan for my life is uh, something that I do this much every day. I'm, I'm desiring to do more, and I'm working to do more, and I'm moving along, and, I, and it's the old, I can tell that I'm making some progress, but not like Jesus. Can you imagine the entire city is wanting him to do this? 
But Jesus was determined to provide these people the Messiah they needed regardless of what they wanted. That's our hope today and every day, no matter how often we let God down. Jesus, by his obedience to the Father, provided us hope. So, let's wrap this up by applying those last verses to our head, heart, and hands. Head. To the extent possible, what we speak should be what God would say. Verse 49, he said, For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command as to what I should say and what I should speak. Now, if you're thinking, I can't do that like Jesus, you're right. But that's not a reason for you to not go about doing it. What do I mean? Matthew 10, verses 19 and 20. Jesus told his disciples, don't worry about how or what you should speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour because you are not speaking, but the Spirit of your Father is speaking through you. You don't have to come up with some just, you know, smart way of responding to people. All you have to do is say a quick prayer when someone asks you a question about why you have the hope that you have in you. And here's the remarkable thing. You find that, wow, all of a sudden, what just came through me? And you start saying stuff that just defies your own imagination. How's that possible? I'm going to come back to that in a second. Because the older I get and the longer I walk with the Lord, the more real those verses get to me. And I'm just going to admit it to you. The very first time I heard that, I had a practical, it's to a fault. You know, I'm just, the, the science left side of my brain just has a real hard time with some of this stuff that really requires faith to get there. And early on in my young spiritual life, some of these things were a bridge too far, and I wasn't all in on the inerrancy of God's word, and I, didn't bu- I, I hadn't bought into all of that. But that's the earmark of an immature, young believer. You kind of get this, God's given you enough light to keep you out of the gutter, but you're still trying to figure stuff out. It's a common affliction of the spiritually young. Let me give you an example of exactly how Matthew 10, 19, 20 works. This morning, my scripture reading this morning was Ephesians 4 through 6. You really want to get disturbed in your faith walk, just read Ephesians. You know, you're going to realize how, how short we all come up, but that's no reason to not keeping at it. Ephesians 4, 15 and, 14 and 15 reads, Then we will no longer be like children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and techniques of deceit. 
Boy, that's a mouthful. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. See it? That's just one example of I was reading God's word today. I knew I was coming to speak with you. I couldn't let that go. I had to cut it out and put it into my notes. Why? Because the Lord put it on my heart and he is speaking to you through me, his words, his words. My words might sometimes fall under the human cunning or cleverness or this or that, not in intentionally. I never, ever will intentionally, consciously, if I do, just get me out and beat me because I want you guys to get as much of God's truth as I that the Lord has shared with me. John does exactly the same thing. That's all we want. But what we really want more is for the word of God to dwell in you richly. I'm going to come back to this, believe it or not. Heart. <laughs> believe his commands are eternal. In verse 50, the words Jesus actually used were, I know his commands are eternal life. This raises a question for us, does it not? Do we really believe that? Is that the way you're living? Do we live like God's commands are eternal life, which starts, by the way, the moment you surrender to Jesus Christ? Eternal life isn't something that happens after you're dead. Eternal life is, it occurs the second you bow your knee and acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. To me, that's pretty cool. What I don't want to be is like the people in verse 42. I don't want to be unwilling to confess what I believe if it costs me. This is a struggle. I admitted it to you right up front. You know, this, it, 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 you kind of, the Lord brings you along and he grants you the grace to understand and see him more over time. I certainly don't want to be like the many empty self-seekers then or now masquerading as followers of Christ only to fade away once he fails to be the Messiah I want him to be. Let that sink in for a second. Because every single one of us has something that we're projecting onto Christ. Don't kid yourself, you're doing it. If you reject the Christ who's in, if you reject what I'm saying right now, fine. Just make sure that the Jesus Christ that you believe in squares with the one God wrote in his Bible. It's his word, not my word. Hands. You'll have to forgive me for this. If you guys were betting, it's probably 10 times in a row that it's, one it's pretty much the same variation. How, is you, how are you going to do this? Read your Bible every day. Notice I use the word your Bible. Scripture is personal. It's God's love letter to you. 
and me. And it's offered to every single person ever born. You personally will never know or believe if you don't read it yourself. Not deeply, not in a way that allows it to change the way you live every day. Scripture is the only thing God has provided capable of separating soul and spirit. Did you know that? That's what it says in Hebrews 4.12. Reading Scripture is absolutely essential to understanding who Jesus actually was, who he actually is, versus the Jesus any of us might want him to be. And of course, pray. Pray so the things you speak are like Jesus, knowing what God has spoken are words of eternal life. As best you can, speak boldly like he spoke boldly. Being willing to share, no matter how uncomfortable you might be. Gently, lovingly. That's one I'm still working on but firmly. Jesus never, ever varied from the course his father set out for him. Me? He's forever pulling me back in. How about you? You know, what's awesome is is that God and Jesus never get tired of going after the one, the 99 are hanging out, and there goes Roy, And Jesus comes right after me. No matter how many times I've let him down, no matter how many times you've let him down, he is the Messiah you need, regardless of what you want. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your patience with us. Thank you so much for your word. And I pray, Lord, during this Advent season that, as was pointed out by Chip, we have opportunity during this time of year that sometimes is a lot tougher in the commotion of everyday life not being the holiday time. Pray, Lord, that you would help everyone to spend more time in your word, reading your word. It's not that the devotions, there's nothing wrong with devotions. They're just not your word. Your word is where life can be found, life in abundance with you. And I pray, Lord, that you would be honored in all the things that we do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.